that's true. That way, yeah. That's easy to it's easy to feel that way. That's why you gotta you gotta be mindful of your caffeine intake, but at the same time, you know, I drink usually one cup of coffee a day and that's it. But I I do drink tea quite a bit. Iced tea or hot tea, either way. There are certain teas that don't have caffeine in them. Like chai does not have caffeine in it. I had a spiced chai shake at Firefly over here. Oh my gosh. It's on Anthony. It's that way. Uh, it's on Anthony. It's this little kind of hippie like place. It's great. Coffee is really good. And the, and the, the chai is unbelievable if you like chai that's the best place to get chai in town big train big train chai that's the best mix you can get it's big train chai you just order it online my uh my my wife and i get if if we get a mix ever we we get big train because it's awesome it's awesome all right, per your request, I am now podcasting these uh, these classes, so you can go out to you can go out to our, my new website, which is exciting, which is ignitefortwayne.com or thetribefortwayne.com, either one. Well, we're probably changing the name of the youth group to the tribe. That's probably awesome. tonight. I have to get final I have to get final approval from Pastor Barry, but actually I have to inform him that this is what we're doing, whether he likes it or not. Um, I've told him already we're changing the name, and he was like, Can I talk to you about that? And I said, Yes. But I'm going, guess what? I'm the youth pastor. This is I get to make this decision. Does that mean we have to change all the signs in the church? There aren't signs in the church that say ignite, or not there very many of them. There's at least there's one, maybe That's one. In the, the sanctuary hallway. Yes, we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to change the sign. You could just get away. You're like, you're well, it's the thing is, it's metal, so we could probably get like just a magnet made up that we can just lay right over top of it, and it would ignite. I could do that too. We're not going yeah, to. Yeah, I totally like that. <laughs> so, both of those names, ignitefortwayne.com and thetribefortwayne.com. Both go to the same place, but if you'll see on, on that website, you'll see Pastor Josh's blog slash podcast, and that's where you can, can all go. Of them from, the very beginning? from Romans chapter five was the first one I recorded. Yeah, the we didn't record we didn't record the ones before that. What? There's there are there is some I did do a, I did I did a little bit of editing. Not a lot. I did a very minimal amount of editing. So each of the episodes is at least an hour. Well, I didn't start recording until after that comment. Okay, good. Um, yes, I'm recording now. <laughs> I don't care. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. But <clears throat> So event eventually I'll have a podcast of both that. I have all the ignition videos out there, and, I have, and I'll have all of our Wednesday night sermons out there, too. But the one podcast is just of this class. And 
So it should be cool. It is working. I pulled it up in my podcasting thing, and it went to, had all the episodes there to download. So that's cool. I'm like, I have my own podcast now. Woohoo! Uh, not yet. Nobody's listening to it yet. That's your guys' job, is to make me famous. I'm just kidding. <laughs> What? <laughs> I don't know. In fact, I don't even know. I haven't set up the like Google like metric yet to actually like tell me how many clicks on the website. But I haven't. You're the first people I've even told the website exists, except for a couple of people like leaders in the youth group that I that I said, "Hey, go look at this. What do you think?" <laughs> so, well, we haven't announced the name of the youth group change so and when when you get out on the website it's this big the tribe everything is about the tribe so it, it, yeah that's why i haven't announced I've it i've actually yeah there's a lot of ignites out there and i actually did a search and there's no there's no facebook page called the tribe at all not not Ooh, one nice. so so we're doing that there's no and i couldn't find any youth groups on a quick Google search called the tribe. So, so I'm like, yes, we're ahead of the curve. So that's exciting. Well, you know, there's, there was a, there was a book, there was a book called the, like the savage way or something like that, which is about, uh, it's, it's a Christian book. It's yeah. I don't, I don't remember exactly what that all entailed, but, um, I'm not sure what it had to do with, honestly. <laughs> so we are in First Corinthians chapter six, and let's pray. Abba, I thank you for an amazing day, and Lord, I ask your presence and the power of your Holy Spirit to infiltrate this room, and Lord, that you would take us into your Word and reveal beautiful things to us. Lord, I ask that your Word would be planted in our hearts, and that it would grow and bear fruit for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, <clears throat> so, review, okay, um, really up until now, it's all, it's been all about the division in the, in the body of Christ at Corinth, okay, they've been fighting, and Paul's been yelling at them about it now for five chapters, and he's going to end, he's going to stop yelling at them about division in this chapter, and he's going to start yelling at them about other things. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this whole book is is one gigantic rebuke, basically. I mean, it's not, but it is. Um, there's not a whole lot of, of theological discussion in this book, which is why it's never been one of my favorites, although I am enjoying this study, but... Um, and it's because he had so many things he had to confront with that that were going on uh, in the body. Paul liked to be a proactive leader, not a reactive leader. But in this particular case, he was having to react to the the, the chaos that was going on in Corinth. And um, so he he's moving on to something. It's it's really it's it's just another expression of their disunity as a body. But it's but it's an it's an even deeper and more disturbing disunity. 
because now not only are they disagreeing with each other about, you know, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos, blah, blah, blah. Now they are actually uh, fighting with one another and taking each other to court. Okay, so the, the, there's, there's dis disputes that have been coming up inside the church that now have people that are actually suing one another and taking one another to court. And the Apostle Paul is, is really, really mad about this. He cannot believe that it's risen to this level, that there is disunity at this depth to the point where not only are you saying, well, I don't necessarily agree with them theologically, but that's it, I'm taking you to court. Now, the, he does not tell us what the court disputes were about, so we don't really know. Um, although he gives us a hint a little bit later on that maybe one member of the body had had committed fraud against another. Um, but, uh, but in this beginning part, he doesn't tell us exactly what, uh, what, what the court case was about. He just says, you're taking each other to court. Are you kidding me? And in the midst of that conversation, he actually says some pretty surprising things, but let's, let's start there first. Um, the church was erupting into disagreement with one another out of their complete disunity. And some of these disagreements for one reason or another ended up in civil court. We need to understand the civil courts of the time are not like the civil courts now. The civil courts now are bad enough. Okay, I mean they're ugly. If you've ever, I take a day or a morning, some morning, and just go sit in civil court for a morning. It makes you, you you're gonna wish you weren't a member of the human race when you walk out. I mean, it really it's just gross. It's just disgusting. And I'm not even talking about. I'm not even talking about uh, like like. Uh, criminal court. I'm talking about civil court. I've had to go and be in civil courts before to talk, like to be a witness at like abuse trials, that kind of thing. I'm the kid's youth pastor. They came to me, that kind of thing, and so I get pulled in. Um, but things like, it's just gross. It's stuff, divorce disagreements that have to go before the, the court. Uh, custody disagreements that have to go to, before the court, uh, uh, lawsuits about, uh, you know, well, you, 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 like medical malpractice, uh, you know, contractors. There's a million contractors in court all the time. You didn't build this thing right, and so it fell apart or whatever. And uh, <clears throat> it's just, it's seriously gross. It's just, it just makes you like, ugh. and this is what the. And, and back then, it was even worse because you had these court officials. They were Roman court officials, but they were incredibly corrupt. And they basically, whoever bribed them the most would win. That was the idea. And the Christians are taking their stuff to that arena to get it taken care of. And the Apostle Paul is like, do you hate each other that much that you can't sit down together, brother to brother, and get this thing sorted out that you can't that you can't just figure this out between the two of you two people that honestly love each other more than they love themselves should not have a difficulty coming to an agreement in a matter of business correct are you with me this morning everybody looks a little more tired than usual there's coffee on the coffee cup <laughs> Therese told me there was so. um <clears throat> When you think about what Jesus said 
about the body of Christ and what it's supposed to look like. He said, they will know you're my disciples because of your love for one another. That is what Jesus said. And here, in Corinth, this body is so riddled with division that they're fighting one another to the level they're taking each other to court. You know, this might not sound all that shocking to us because we know of churches and Christians and whatever all the time that are constantly taking each other to court, and it's not a big deal. Paul is trying to say, it's a big deal, folks. This is not a small thing. This is a huge thing. People that love each other like this should not be taking each other to court and suing one another. This should not be going on in the Christian realm. And there's a couple things that he has to say about that. Verse 2 and verse 3 are an unbelievable, mind-blowing statement from Paul. Okay? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Okay, now what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is during the millennial reign of Christ, okay, after his second coming, and we're not going to get off on onto eschatological... Uh, fine points. But okay, after the second coming of Jesus, Jesus will set up his throne on the planet, okay, and he will be the king of the earth, the king of the entire planet. Jesus himself will be, okay, and we will be his government, okay? The Christian church, those who have followed him, will be his government, will be the police, will be the judges, will be the courts, will be the, okay, because there will be us, and then there will be normal human beings, probably saved, but not abs- not necessarily. Doesn't matter, because Jesus will be the civil authority at that time, and we will be the ones dispensing his justice all over the planet. Okay, so some of you might end up being a judge in the city court of Fort Wayne, or the mayor of Fort Wayne, or the king of North America, or who know, or the queen of North America. Who knows? We don't know exactly how it's going to play out. <clears throat> um, but we do know that we will be the civil authority on the planet Earth during the millennial reign of Christ. And the Apostle Paul is reminding them of this. And he's saying, if you're telling me that so-and-so, his dog pooped on your lawn, and you're mad about it, so you're taking him to civil court to get them to pay for the damages, okay? And we're the ones who, after the second coming of Jesus, are going to be ruling the earth, and you can't figure this out between the two of you? This petty, stupid little disagreement that has only to do with money and completely uneternal things, temporal things that are passing away that don't even really matter, and you're fighting over them to the level that you would take it to this backward, corrupt court system to get it figured out. That's stupid. Do you not understand that we will be the judges of the earth? We need to be practicing that kind of wisdom now. Get it through your thick skulls. Then he says something in verse 3, which is even more mind-blowing. We will judge angels. Yeah. We will judge angels. Now, the context of this is probably in at the great white throne of judgment, where everyone that's ever lived or died will be brought before the great white throne of Jesus. Okay, they will be resurrected. 
and brought before the great white throne of Jesus. This is after the millennial reign and after the second rebellion where Satan gets pulled up out of the bottomless pit and is set loose on the nations again for a season. Okay, Jesus will set up his throne and then he will judge the nations and we will sit with him as the jury or as co-judges with him in that moment. And not only humans will be judged, Satan himself will be brought before the great white throne of judgment and judged in that moment. And Satan, as we know, is an angelic being. So um, the Apostle Paul is going, you think you know, we're going to be the judges of the earth? Not only that, we're going to be judges of heavenly beings at some point. And you're having this little petty problem and you think it's that important? Wake up. Okay, we it's 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 crazy to even think about that we'll sit in judgment over the angelic realm. Um, but it it's if you think about Ephesians chapter two, okay, there is a there's a verse in Ephesians chapter two which will make your nose bleed if you think about it long enough, okay, which says that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed to the it's being made known being displayed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God is revealing things through us right now that those angels that have been staring at him and worshiping him from all eternity have never seen about God. God's using the church to do that. If that's true, that's it's it's to that end that we will be judging angels. Does this make sense to you? Okay? God will so fully reveal a certain thing about himself through the church that we will stand in judgment against angelic beings, okay? And not like, you're a bad guy. It's not like we are saying we were perfect and you and you weren't. But there will be such a clarity coming in revelation through the body of Christ that when angels stand up to be judged, that, that glory that is shining through the church will be something that they're going to be judged against. Does this make sense to you? Everybody with me? Okay. We will be the evidence that these angels have sinned. Do you follow? This does not happen until the end. Yes. But the Apostle Paul says that God's God is revealing those things right now. And he said that 2,000 years ago. So I think... That, that it's more than just the that. I mean, it's easy for us to go, oh, but that's after we have our resurrection bodies and we're going to be totally holy then and, you know, whatever. No, the Apostle Paul says, no, this is being revealed now. Absolutely it does. We've got to understand, your salvation is about more than just you. We've talked about this before. Your salvation is about revealing the glory of the uncreated God to the universe, to even angelic beings. The Apostle Peter talked about how angels long to look into these things. This is some part of God they've never seen before. This mercy thing, I've never seen that. I want to see that. This salvation thing, I've never seen that. I want to see that. This God judging sin thing, they saw that with with Satan and the and the expelling of the of the uh, of of the fallen angels and the demons from heaven, but they have not seen mercy. They have not seen grace. They haven't seen gospel. 
They haven't seen weakness becoming strength. They haven't seen all of this, the beauty of the cross, they haven't seen. And it is through us that God's making that manifest. And angels are going, this is amazing! You know, it's, it's like the kid at the end of The Incredibles, this is totally wicked, okay? <laughs> they, did, they, they are fascinated by what God is showing the universe through us. And forever, we will be trophies of this reality in God, grace and mercy, and, and, uh, and we will be trophies of that. That glory of God, beacons of this reality of God for the rest of eternity. It's awesome, isn't it? And that's why we wear the scars of our lives, okay? The things that God has brought us out from are going to mark us as beings forever. Okay, so those of you that God has brought you out of some really deep stuff, in heaven... You will, that, that deliverance that God has brought about in your life will be a medal around your neck. The angels are going to be like, are you kidding me? You were that and God made you this? That is unbelievable. It will be a shout of glory to the Lord that he could turn that into this. And there you stand. Welcome in the fellowship of the Trinity and yet you were that. Is that unbelievable or what? So you, so just boast in the cross, my friends, because forever we're going to be like, the cross did this to me. It's so amazing. You know, the, the angels are just like, yeah. Now they will never worship you, of course, but they're going to see you and worship God. They're going to see you and be like, God is amazing. And we're going to be doing the same thing. We're going to see like Michael the Archangel and we're going to be like, oh, God is amazing. Look at you, dude. I mean, that's holy cow. You know, and, and we're just going to be bowing down to the Lord because of the glory that's coming from them. And they're going to be bowing down to the Lord because of the glory that's coming from us. It's all God's glory, but we will be worshiping. That's fun. Isn't this fun? All right. So, yeah, that's that. That's huge. And we got to get. Well, so Paul says because that's because. But see, that's the thing. Because that's our future. It should affect how we think about our lives today. The Apostle Paul is going, this is who you are. This is what God's doing in you. And yet you dishonor that by not loving one another, by not honoring. Angels will honor what God is doing in you, but you won't honor what God's doing in the person next to you. You see, and Paul is saying this, this is so out of place with who you are, child of God, that you would dishonor one another in this way. God is at work doing eternal, incredible things in every single member of this body. And yet, we, we spit on each other in this way. We hate each other in this way. We don't love each other in this way. The person sitting next to you is going to be the instrument of God to glorify his name for all generations. And yet, you don't like the way they tie their shoes, and so you don't like them. That's out of place. Does this make sense? It's out of place. It makes no... We need to value one another for the treasure that God's put in you. That's why Paul is so mind-blown 
Not only that, we need to honor the bond that we share together. We are the bride of Christ together. As a people, we bear this brand, the bride of Christ. And when you look across at your brother or sister in Christ that you don't like very much, do not forget that that is Jesus' bride. Okay, if somebody started talking about my wife in a disparaging way, they would have me to deal with. And Jesus feels the same way. Excuse me, what did you say about my bride? Watch it. Because when you talk about her, you're talking about me. The Apostle Paul does not understand how on earth they've gotten to this place. Are you insane? You're taking each other to court. Give me a break. Okay, just because of all that we know is true about who we are as a people, as a tribe. Wake up. We belong to each other. But not only that. He says, is there not, verse 5, he says, is there not someone wise enough amongst you to sit down and settle a disagreement between two fighting people. Now, the Apostle Paul is not saying there wasn't, because there probably were wise people. But the division is so deep that even the wisest among them were not respected by people who weren't a part of their faction. Does this make sense? Okay, so, so uh, yeah, that guy is wise, and he's been walking in Christ for a long time, and the spirit of wisdom is definitely on him. But he's a Paul follower, and I'm an Apollos follower, and I, so I do not respect that man. You see. And Paul's like, this is so stupid. This does not make any sense. But not only that, verse 6, this is a horrible witness. What is the world? You're taking and displaying the dysfunction of the body before the entire world? Before all of the unbelievers, how on earth are they supposed to look to you and see light in the midst of darkness when you're fighting about who pooped on, you know, which dog pooped on whoever's lawn? <laughs> These petty, ridiculous disputes that even the world is going, are, seriously? You're fighting about this? You see? This is a horrible witness. And what do people always tell you when you say, you know, when you talk to an unbeliever, what do, what do they tell you about the church? They They're hypocrites. Exactly. Why do they say that? Because they've had a Christian come along and treat them in an unchristianly manner. And people that leave the church, what do they say? People that leave the church, oh, I've been hurt by somebody in the church. Well, you want to know what? Yeah, they probably have. Because we don't esteem one another. We don't honor one another in the way that Paul's talking about. We don't, we don't have a grip on the... the the great value and worth that God has put in this community. And so we don't care for one another. We don't honor one another. We hurt one another and people leave. And the world around us says they're, not, they're just as messed up as we are. They have no answers for anything. Why should we listen to anything they have to say? It's a terrible witness. I love what the Apostle Paul says in verse 7 and verse 8. He's like, look. You should be ready to suffer wrong. You should be ready to let that person's dog poop on your lawn all day long for the sake of the name of Christ's body in the world. 
deal with people's idiosyncrasies and insecurities. Just deal with it because, and, and love that person and get beyond it because when you let these fights rise to that level, you are ruining the, the witness for the name of Jesus. You should hold that, even if you don't like each other, at least hold the name of Jesus in high enough esteem that you don't bring this and out your dirty laundry in front of the entire world. Wake up. This is the name of Jesus that you're defiling. It's not just yours or even the church of Corinth. It's the name of Christ. You should care, if nothing else, care enough about the name of Jesus that you don't let this stuff go out there. Fix this in-house. Does that make sense? And in verse 8, he says, But you are defrauding one another. This is that hint that I told you about, that there might have actually been some fraud going on. So not only should you be the forgiving one and seeking to, you know, whatever, but he's going, and I can't believe it. There's actual real reasons why people are mad. You guys are defrauding one another. You're doing stupid things to one another. This doesn't make any sense. You don't love your brother enough to be in honest business practices with them. To treat them like you would a normal customer. And the thing is, it's worse in the church. And I've heard so many people through the years say, well, you shouldn't do business with people in the church. That's bullcrap. That's bullcrap. If, if they are so broken that they can't do business with people in the church without crapping on them, then they shouldn't be doing business at all. The people who have, because people got have gotten hurt by doing business with somebody in the church that have come along and said, you shouldn't do business with people in the church. I completely disagree with that statement. Completely. I think we should be looking to, to help employ the businesses that are a part of our church. That we should be giving them business, not the other way around. But people have said, don't do that because, you know, if they do something, then there's going to be division in the body, blah, blah, blah. Well, then maybe they should love Jesus enough not to do anything stupid. And I should love Jesus enough not to take offense when something little, tiny, and ridiculous happens. You follow me? There is a, there's, <clears throat> I love, I love the language here. I love the language of taking offense. Because when bad things happen to you, something makes you feel bad. You have a decision. Something somebody says or does, something that happens, you have a decision to make. Am I going to be offended by this or not? Now, there might have been a moment of, ow, that hurt. But you have a decision to make right then of whether you're going to take that hurt on and say, I, I yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm going to be mad. I'm, they, they need to ask my forgiveness. Okay. Or whether I'm just going to let it go. You have the ability to let it go and you should. I always give people the benefit of the doubt. Okay, if someone says something or does something that seems a little fishy, especially uh, somebody that I'm in a, in relationship with, you know, that's somebody that I'm a friend with, they do something that seems like, boy, I wonder why they did that. We are so quick as people to go, well, they did that because of this. They were trying to do this. You know what I mean? Does this make sense? Okay, 
um, you know, somebody says something and, well, you know why he said that. We build this case against them in our head. And as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot do that. We can't afford to do that. Somebody does something that hurts your feelings or whatever, either just say, you know what, I don't think, I, I don't think they meant it that way and just let it go. Or go to them. If, if you can't just let it go, then go to them and say, hey, when you did that, that was, that was kind of painful. And I just um, wanted you to know. Just be honest with them about it. But don't take offense on, well, it's another person just being a jerk to me. Are you following me here? All right, everybody stand up. Stand up, stand up. Come on, we're going to do our stretches. <laughs> Sword. It's only it's only like ten minutes in, but let's do it anyway. It's only ten minutes in. I don't know how far it is. <laughs> I I say, know. There's no way it's only been ten minutes. It feels like ten minutes to me. Come on, just come on, reach down, touch your toes, stretch out, go get coffee if you need to. That's right. It does. It does. Does work for me. I appreciate it. My wife says the same thing. She's like, I could drink coffee all day. It wouldn't affect me. I'm going. Trust me, it affects you. That sounds. It sounds like with people who are thinking, I can do anything. I can have five more glasses. I drink it like at night, and since you can't drink it now, keep them up. I can Honestly, it doesn't keep. It really doesn't keep me up at night. If I drink, like, because I drink coffee late at night, a lot, but. The older I get, the more I can really feel the effects. I'm trying to cut it out. Right now, I just don't because I don't have I only drink. You know, as you get older, your me your metabolism changes. Yeah, my metabolism's and, already shot. So and, uh, <laughs> and, well, even because there's the first metabolism change that you notice, which is when your body goes out of the growing phase this way and into the growing phase this way. <laughs> okay, which is the whole freshman 15 moment. Okay. See? That is a change of metabolism in your body where where your body stops investing in growth and and so you're not burning calories as quick as you were and that's why because people just keep eating the same way they were and Last all of a year, sudden oh my gosh I've gained so much weight why well it's because your body's metabolism has changed yeah It does. It happens. If, if my it, freshman year in Southeastern University, has anyone ever been to Southeastern University? Have you ever been to their cafeteria? I got like a freshman thirty. <laughs> <laughs> that cafeteria is cray cray. I gotta say, it might not happen. Might not happen your freshman year. It will happen eventually, and then there's another one that comes. My my biggest metabolism change that happened to me was when I got married. And. And that's true. I, just about everybody I know, when they get married, things their their body chemistry changes, and 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 I don't I don't I really don't know what that's about. I don't. It may have to do with sex. I don't know. It may have to do with just the comfortability of I'm with a spouse. But I really don't know. But it is harder to keep weight off once you get married than it ever was before. When I got married, I gained thirty five pounds in six months. I weighed 175 all the way through high school. I was this big around. I weighed 175 all the way through high school. You know, never 
Didn't matter what I ate. I could eat whatever I wanted, whatever. I I didn't do the freshman 15 thing at all. But then I got married like about a year after that. A year after that, boom, six months, I gained 35 pounds. And I've really been there ever since, right, hanging in that area. I've had several people tell me that like three months after my walk, which is when because I'm burning so many calories a day and then I'm not going to be able to burn that much, yep. that I'm going to gain like 40 pounds. Well, you can like you can month. control that, though. All right, back to the thing. All right. Just be ready. Just be ready. Uh, okay. Now, Paul switches gears again um, when we get to verse 9. He says, look, followers of Christ don't act this way. And he gives a list of stuff that followers of Christ do not do. The, the immoral. Followers of Christ are not immoral. Now, this, if you don't read this the way Paul intended it to be read, you're going to be like, I am screwed. Okay? Because all of us have done one or two of these things at some point in our Christian walk. And you're going to be like, oh no, I'm going to hell. It's just over. Okay? <clears throat> Every single one of us battles with this stuff. But what the Apostle Paul is talking about is, is the, he's bringing back from uh, what he was talking about in chapter 5, which was the unrepentant. Okay, We're not talking about people who stumble and get up and, and keep, trying, keep trying to walk toward Christ and like Christ. We're talking about people who are living this lifestyle unrepentantly, that they're, they're walking in, the, the, this manner of sin on a regular basis and have no desire at all to change or, or, or are making any attempt to change. They might say they want to change, but if they're not actually putting their faith into action by trying to move into the mercy and the grace of God and walk in freedom, then, okay? So there's a whole list. Um, let's see. There's a whole list just in verse 9. I gotta get. Yeah, and then, and then, well, verse 9 is specifically about sexual sin. And then he goes, and the rest of sin. <laughs> so, uh, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. Okay, that's just a blanket statement. Sexually immoral means that you're not walking as a part of God's plan for sex. That means you are having sex in some way other than within the bond of marriage between a man and a woman. I shouldn't have to say that last part of it, but in this day and age, I do. The sexually immoral, the unrepentant, sexually immoral person, okay? That means that this includes pornography, this includes uh, uh, a... a fantasy sexual life. Jesus included that. Okay? Even if you're not looking at anything, but you are creating scenarios in your mind that stir you up sexually, that's still sexual immorality. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, I'm from Texas. I came from a really liberal place. Is there a specific place where like Jesus himself said, hey, that's not okay to do that anymore? Or that's like the book of the law? That's what people always say. Like, it's all over the New Testament. Book. And Jesus said, not that the that not one 
bit of the law was going to pass away, that that's, you know, that that uh, God's word is remains. I've come to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. Okay. And then here in the rest of the New Testament, homosexuality is mentioned multiple other times. But every time it's mentioned, well, except for one. Every time it's mentioned, it's just mentioned as another form of sexual immorality. It's not special. Yeah. It's not any different than premarital sex yeah. or cheating on your wife or pornography. No, Jesus did not. But that shouldn't matter at all. There's a lot of things Jesus didn't talk about. A whole lot. No, he didn't. At least, okay, but then in the book of John, it says if we wrote down everything Jesus said and did, there's not enough books in the world for that. So so Jesus probably did talk about it at some point. It's just not recorded in Scripture. You know, Not everything Jesus said and or did is recorded in Scripture. So. Um, it's cool to think that like, all Jesus had to like, use the bathroom to get the Yeah, exactly. He's a human. Like, I'm really glad they didn't write everything down. Jesus yeah, is cool resurrected. Like, oh, there's so much in here. We need to do way more. Oh yeah, this is cool. That's awesome. Makes me think. And Jesus and Jesus drank. Like when they were walking, and like Jesus. And Jesus took a bite. And, and Jesus took another bite. And Jesus chewed the bites. And Jesus swallowed the bites. I would love to do that. And then Jesus belched. That would just, maybe a little bit of that would be cool, but like, he, said, he, said, he said, oh yeah, and Jesus loosened his belt. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, <laughs> I love thinking about Jesus the man, because Jesus was a man, which means he, you know, probably scratched his crotch every now and again, you know, Jesus had B.O. at certain times, Jesus went to the bathroom, okay, I love thinking about that, that Jesus was a guy, Jesus was a guy, you know, not only that, he was a guy, I mean, that's, I mean, not just a human, he was a guy, you know, you know, yeah. He had an amazing beard. <laughs> he would have made beard jokes. <laughs> all right. So he said, all right. So uh, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. Now, why does he says nor idolater in the midst of that? Because having sex with temple prostitutes was a form of, of worship in the city of Corinth. Okay. That's why it's mentioned. You need to remember that. Plus, why does he spend so much time on sexually, sexual immorality in this book? Because Corinth was the Vegas of that world. Oh, you know those Corinthians. I'm headed up to Corinth for a good time. It really was. It was the party city of that time. And, and there were, it was, I'm telling you, you know, yeah, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. I mean, they would, they, this was not a place that was a wholesome environment, okay? Paul planted a church in Sin City, and he did it on purpose. Because of that, he has to talk to them about talk to them about the culture they live in. Um, uh, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Now, that's not just specifically men, by the way. He's uh, he's also talking about women, and he says, 
practice homosexuality. This is something we need to understand, that uh, homosexual temptation or, or feeling, attraction to someone of the same sex as you, is not by itself a sin. Is it dangerous? Oh, absolutely it is. And it shouldn't be like, you know, well, it's okay if I'm attracted to them. I should just let that live. No. Okay, that's not, you know. But the sin is when it moves on, when, when it's acted upon. Okay, that's where it becomes a sin. Now, acted upon, again, means both physical, physical action and also mental action. I don't know if you've, uh, one of the things that, you know, some of the some of the teaching for guys about pornography and whatever is, you know, talk about bouncing your eyes and stuff like that, um, which is honestly, if you guys haven't read any of that stuff, it's probably a really good idea because men are visually stimulated. Okay, that's just the way it is. It's the way our brains work. So when we see something, it's like you know the chemicals get moving in the brain, right? But there is a there's there's a they talk about there's a difference between a bird landing on your head and you shooing it away and a bird landing on your head and you convincing it to stay. Does that make sense? Okay. So if a thought runs through your brain that is inappropriate and you go, no, whoa, psh, taking that thought captive to Christ Jesus, I don't want that in there. Okay. That's one thing. But if a thought comes and you're like, yeah, I'm going to think about that for a minute. Okay. If you notice something that is true, oh, please, girls are the same way. No, I know. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I, all I got to say is during the Super Bowl, I can't tell you how many people tweeted about the David Beckham commercial. I had six or seven of the girls from my youth group. Oh, David Beckham. I was like, no, no, no. I said, I guess I'm preaching on lust on Wednesday. Good Lord. It is. That's the thing. It is totally. If a guy sees a girl walk by and just watches her butt as she walks away, people are like, "Ew, gross." But if a girl's like, "Oh, he's so hot," you know, it's like, "Oh, I know." Okay, like I, okay, I went to see one of the Twilight films. Okay, because my wife wanted to go see it. She likes Twilight. I like the books, but the I did read the books. I appreciate anyway. So I went to Twilight New Moon, alright? And Taylor Lautner takes his shirt off at one point in the thing. And in this whole row of women behind me was like, Oh, that's right! Okay. I have never been to a film where a whole row of guys is like, uh-huh, go ahead. Yep, unbutton that thing. No, never. Because if they did, everyone in the theater would be like I can't believe you. That's so inappropriate. But a bunch of girls are like, oh, sexy. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. It's annoying. Uh, double standard, my friends. So, it's one thing about, it's one thing to have a thought run through your brain because you have testosterone in your body and your brain is constantly reminding you that you're a sexual being. Okay? It is another to entertain that thought and to hold it and to, and to stir yourself to lust out of that thought. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay? And that's what we're talking about. When he says sexual immorality, okay, that's exactly what he's talking about. Not just the actual physical act of sexual immorality. He's talking about living a life that feeds the flesh in that way. Whether that's for the person of the same sex as you or another sex as you. 
homosexuality is a sin always heterosexuality is okay within the bonds of marriage and that's why he had to specifically say men who practice homosexuality in this verse you follow me all right uh, nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor revilers what do you guys have in verse 10 Slanders and swindlers. Swindlers and slanders. A reviler in... I, I looked this up because I was like, what the heck is that? Um, it means a verbally abusive person. A verbally abusive person. Someone who is constantly speaking in a verbally abusive manner towards someone else. That's what that word reviler means. And he puts that on the same level as practicing homosexuality, folks. So, wake up. We love to say, we got to stand up for what's right and tell the world homosexuality is wrong. But that guy over there, you're an idiot jerk and I hate your guts. I can say that all day long. No, that, sorry. God says, guess what? That's the same as this in my eyes. Being verbally abusive is the same as practicing homosexuality in the eyes of God. Wake up, church. We have sins that we don't really have a problem with. Then we have sins that we're disgusted by, when in truth, we should have equal problem with all of them. This one doesn't get a pass just because it's culturally acceptable. Wake up, church. What's that? That is verse 10. Christian and practicing homosexuality, or if you like, believe in homosexuality, both of them. What? Like, what did you say about that? That whole topic. No, what I said is okay. What did you say about that? This is this is what I said, and I haven't posted last week's on the podcast. I just yet, so you know, just FYI. Like my cousin just recently, like. Here's what's going on: people that practice homosexuality, okay. Just like people that practice sex outside of marriage, people that practice robbery, people that practice verbally, verbal abuse, okay? Those people living in that lifestyle unrepentantly are not followers of Christ. You follow me, okay? All of them, not just people that practice homosexuality, all of them are not followers of Jesus Christ. And they might say, oh, I am. I'm a follower of Jesus. But if they're living in unrepentant sin, they're not. Okay? There is a huge difference between that and someone who is walking, trying to walk after Christ, but is having struggle. And living in a place of repentance. Because that's where we all are. Let's be honest. Every single one of us is living in a place of repentance all the time. It's one of my, my favorite thing Martin Luther ever said was, all life is repentance. And that's the truth. That is so true. It's, we are constantly running up against our own weakness and, and frailty and saying, oh, God, I'm such a jerk. And God's going, yes, you are, but let's go. Let's walk. It's going to be okay. You know, that place of brokenness where we say, God, I need you. I'm broken. To me, that's the place of poverty of spirit that Jesus talks about. Yes. I don't want to do that. I'm not approving of it. In fact, there's another place where the Apostle Paul, I think it's in Romans, 
says that even approving of those things, any of these things, is evil. So, it's really hard in our culture to talk about homosexuality and not be called someone that hates homosexual people. And I had somebody ask me a question that I'm still, I'm honestly still wrestling with. And they came to me and said, what are you going to do about this? You have two lesbians that have an adopted child that they are raising together and they are legally married and they come to your church. They get saved. What's your next move? I said, I don't know. I, I honestly do not know. I mean, I can't look at them in the eye and say your lifestyle is okay. I have to hope and pray that the Holy Spirit reveals to them that this relationship is not all right. And how are they going to deal with the kid? And I, I don't know. I don't know. But honestly, I'd love to be in that church. I have a cousin that um, she's engaged now. You know what I mean? She doesn't have sexually. She has, they have a child together. Um, and so she's, she's saved now, but she goes to like a union church that's okay with homosexuality. But she has admitted openly that she's confused about it. So she hasn't been in a relationship for four years, but they share custody of their son. So she's kind of confused about it and searching, like, you know what I mean? Like, what yeah. she's doing. She hasn't what been in a do? relationship for four years. So it is possible that, like, I would say she's probably okay. Honestly, I would. I would say she's probably okay. If she's really searching after God about this yeah. and is no longer practicing that lifestyle. I would say she's probably where she needs to be. Yeah, she's not like totally like homosexuality is wrong yet, but she's like seeking after It's a it journey. But they have a kid together and, and they, they've learned to share custody and stuff like that. I cannot, I don't know. I mean, I, I, we would have to walk through that together. I think even after, like even if she did believe, you'd have to look at the consequences of sin. Oh, yeah. Like, even like she went to get her passport and they were like confused and, you know, you look up two parents there to get a passport. They were like really confused because like, I could see how it would be really hard to convince yourself, I'm going to live this other lifestyle now, because no matter what, people are going to look at you. Yeah. It's going to be really difficult. And that's what I'm saying. I would, honestly, I'd love to be in a church that is welcoming enough to people that are in sin that a lesbian couple could come to my church and get saved. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I, I can't say that they would feel welcome here. Uh, you know what I mean? And that's that's has a lot to do with our culture outside of this building as well as our culture inside of this building. This building. Yeah, Fort Wayne. I'm talking about... Well, no, the culture outside of our... Well, sure. The culture outside of this building is still... is still not okay with homosexual marriage. Da, 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 da. Okay, now obviously the culture inside this building is not okay with it. But I would hope... Like, I would love... Honestly, I would love to put up a huge sign on the front lawn that said homosexuals welcome. That's what I'm talking about. I would love that. Come in, please. I want you to come in and I want you to hear about the love of God and about the power of God. And once you've believed the truth of the cross of Jesus Christ, then we can start talking about your sin issue. Because we don't have a problem when an unmarried couple who is sleeping together walk through that door. 
we wouldn't say anything about that. See what I'm saying? I honestly can't imagine the issue even my head would like conceive, and I can't imagine how I would ever come to God. It would be so hard because, like, I think of God just me and like being raised the way I was, my demographic, and how many churches that once they found out my demographic found out that like you know like I attended an FA Marion jail and stuff, they put me in a category, mm-hmm. and they're like, she's a troubled youth. We don't want her around the yeah. kids in the youth group because right, she'll trouble them up. You know? Well, nothing makes me more mad than that when a parent comes to me. <laughs> I'm so, well, my son doesn't come to your youth group. They go to the church. My son doesn't come to your youth group. Why not? Well, you know, the kids in the youth group. I just want to smack them. I really do. Oh, yeah. Do you want to know what's hilarious? Is me and Vicky had a friend who was raised by Christian parents. And Vicky got more trouble with that friend than she did with me. Of course. The girl who had all the like men in her family in jail. That friend caused us more trouble, got us in more trouble, got arrested one time. Like, all this stuff, and then, like, I I never did that stuff. And I just think it's funny. Like, people always put me in a category. Well, like, what, what makes me mad is that people do that, and then four years later, when their kid isn't following Christ and is out doing drugs and sleeping with people, then they come to me and, didn't they have a meeting with you? I want to go, no. They should have had a meeting with me four years ago when they became youth group age, and maybe now they'd still be walking with Jesus because they had somebody discipling them, but the kid's in there. Oh, ooh, don't make me get Ooh, All right. Now, uh, verse, uh, da, 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 verse 11. You and some of you used to be like this. I love that statement from the Apostle Paul. He just did this list of sinners, and he was like, some of you used to be like that. Remember when you were like that? Yeah, but that's not who you are anymore. You've been washed. Hallelujah. Come on. That's not who you are anymore. So step away from that crap. That is not you anymore. You've been justified. Well, he says sanctified first. You have been sanctified. Sanctified. Do you know what that word means? Set apart. Set apart. Made holy. Literally means made holy. Now, I have a problem with the word sanctification and the way it's used in our setting. And here's why. Every place that the word sanctified is used in scripture, it is used in the past tense. This is something that has happened to you. Okay? But in our theological setting, we use the word sanctification, and we call it a process. No. Wrong. That's the wrong word to use. Is there a process? Absolutely. But sanctification is the wrong word to use for it. Sanctification is the right... I know. Trust me. I know. I know. I'm, I am fighting against the theologians of my own movement. But progressive sanctification no throw those words away i hate that it is not a process you were made holy you were set apart that happened the moment you became but so you you came into christ what's the literal term of process of being made holy what would you call that's that? good let's just pick that <laughs> <laughs> process of being made holy that's fine we don't there, there, the the word that we use in english for that is Progressive sanctification or sanctification. And I don't like that word. It should not be used that way. Like sanctified is one thing, and then process of being made holy is 
something else. Yeah. Like My problem is with the word we use, not with or or fine. Then translate this word sanctified in here as a and make it another word. Okay, but I actually like sanctify for. I'll, I'll get you in a second. I actually like the word sanctify for what he's using it for, because that word from the Latin sanctus, which means holy. Okay, made holy. That's what that word means, sanctified, made holy. That's that's literally take the 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 you know the the origin of that word. That is exactly what it means, made holy, and that's what it should be. You know, we need to we need to find another word for the progressive thing, which is a real thing. I'm not saying that's that is a real thing. There is a process. Absolutely, there's a process. I like stuff like uh, like Romans twelve one or. 12.2, I guess it would be, which is that we are being washed with the water of the word. I like that better. I like I like the transformed by the renewing of your mind. I like that better because that's really what's going on. There is a reality that has taken place in your spirit by the power of the gospel. Boom! You are made holy. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Bang! That happened instantaneously. <laughs> Done. Okay? But now... The salvation of your soulish part. That's your spirit. Okay? That's your spirit. Made holy. Boom. One shot. Resurrected. Ta-da! You have a resurrected spirit, but the resurrection life of the spirit moving out from your spirit into your soul is a process. And your mind and your will and your emotions begin to get influenced by the life of God that's working in your spirit. It begins to just grow up through, out of your spirit, into your soul, and change who you are. Okay? This is, are you following me? It is, that part's a process. And God wants it to be a process, even though that's annoying. God just bat me on the head and make me holy. He goes, I did. Now you have to start walking it. You know? And, it, and we are holy. We are holy enough to stand before the throne room of God Right now, you are. You are as holy as Jesus. Is that good or what? That's the truth. Before God, all he sees is his own son when he looks at us. So he's like, I love you. I have sin. Because if he didn't, he would still have to have wrath against us. And he does. So there's no wrath. God is not mad at you. Oh, somebody, somebody shout. God is not mad at me. That is so good. Oh, that should break a bunch of stuff right off your head. You should be like, God's not mad at me? What? That is amazing. He totally should be. Yeah, he should be. But he poured out all that anger on Jesus a long time ago, and he doesn't have any more anger for you. It's gone. He's not mad at you at all. You are living in the benefit of his love, and that's the way it's going to be. So he, it's beautiful. He, sees, he sees the anger of God on you. He's still mad at them. If you're not in Christ, God is still mad at you. Don't preach that, though. I, I know preachers that have done that, though. I know preachers that get up and say, if you're not in Christ, God is still mad at you. God, in fact, Mark Driscoll preached a sermon that everybody hates him for, which was, if you don't belong to Jesus, God hates you. It's true. It's biblical. He loves them, too, but he hates them. When people come to God out of fear, I don't want to go. God doesn't want them to come out of fear. He wants Exactly. Well, that's what people have an issue with his sermon. Yeah. That's what I'll do. I'll touch on like what that's Mark Driscoll. 
five minutes ago, like yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, progressive sanctification. Yeah. Um, Paul touches on that, and like basically the way he worded it was, while we are being saved, yeah, you know, like you've been set apart, you've been sanctified, yeah, you've been resurrected, you that's know, true. but you're being saved, yeah, you know, that's, work, that's work out your place. salvation with fear and trembling, yeah, it's while yeah. You're being it is. It's. We don't have good language for it in English. We just don't. And we need. We need to find. Well, Greek. But we need to find. We need to find that. We need to find a way of talking about that process without using the word sanctify because it's not the right word. Well, it's just the wrong word. Because people to like the different parts of our makeup too. Because the, the spirit is still one. Yeah. And so it's like. With, Which are you, you guys talking about that in cleansing stream? Yeah. 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 So if you don't understand that, then I, you know, it'd be easy to get confused by that. All right. Been sanctified, been sanctified, been done sanctified. It's it's already over. You were made holy. You were set apart. That's done. Period. Close the book. You is sanctified. This is, this is verse eleven. Okay. Given over to be God to God as His possession. That is sanctification. It's the same idea as when they would anoint the vessels in the temple for the use in the temple. They could never be used for anything else again. One of the ways I like to talk about sanctification, okay, is when we bring leftovers home from the restaurant, and they are my leftovers, and I don't want anyone touching them. I put my name on them. Or just dad. Oh, he told you. Okay. And I put them in. Nobody's allowed to touch them but me because they're mine. They're sanctified to me. <laughs> they are set apart for me. Does this make sense? Okay, that's you. That's us. We have been set apart for God. We don't get, we are not allowed to be used by anybody else. And that's just, come on. But then you are also justified. Now check this out. This word means made guiltless. You have been justified. You've been made guiltless. What you did has not changed, but how you stand has changed. You came up before the court. They said, guilty as charged. And Jesus said, hold on. He put his hand in between the thing and the gavel. Because he was the one putting the gavel down anyway. Guilty as, wait, never mind. You are not guilty anymore. Innocent. You are innocent. Yeah, you did all that stuff, but you're innocent. I've heard it described to you like the, the, the charge was given, but then Jesus comes up and says, I'll take the penalty. Like, say they charge you. Well, that's that, different. Like, lethal injection. That's not justification, though. That's something else. We'll talk about that in another situation. We'll talk about that at another time. You're still, you, you committed the crime. Nobody's saying you did it, but you are not being held accountable for it. And which is, it's, that's a different thing. Jesus also <laughs> paid our debt, but that's something else. That's not justification. That's what we call atonement, and that's something else. It's, we'll, we'll, t we'll talk about that at another time, okay? Because I'm only at verse 12, and we have a whole other chapter and a half to get through. And we have 10 <laughs> minutes. Okay. Verse 12. Everything is permissible for me. They, he says this twice. Everything is permissible for me. Okay. Um, he what he is doing? He's not saying you're allowed to say this about yourself. Everything is permissible for me. No, 
That was a slogan that a certain group in the Corinthian church was saying. Everything's permissible for me. Everything is permissible for me. And Paul is going, even if I take that statement at face value, even if everything is permissible for you, he's not saying it is, but he said, let's say it is. But not everything is helpful. Yes, you are a grown-up. You can walk to the edge of a cliff and jump right off. But you're not going to be happy about what happens in the back end of that transaction. Wake up. Even if it was okay for you to live however you wanted, it's stupid to live the way you're living. You follow me? Because there is two things going on at work in the life of every Christian. And this is something I'm probably going to write a book about this at some point. Because this is something that's huge, okay? There is grace at work to make us like Jesus, which means that we aren't going to sin anymore, okay? It's no longer about punishment. When we fall, we fall, God picks us up and we keep walking, okay? It's no longer, we are no longer in this whole, I owe God something anymore. I don't owe him anything anymore. That's what he did. That's the atonement thing. He paid our debt. That's paid. We no longer owe God anything. That's huge. He's not mad at me anymore. And so he's not going to hang this axe over my head. If you screw up even one time, I'm going to kill you. That's not what's going on in the heart of God over us anymore. We are not sinners anymore. And we are not accountable for our sin anymore. Jesus took that from us. Okay, That's, that's a beautiful thing. But that power of grace releases us to be like Christ. And that's where we can, so that's, that, that, that's grace. Okay, but then we have this other thing called wisdom. And wisdom is the smart way to live your life. Okay, it goes way beyond just, you know, this is wrong and this is right. Paul's saying right here, I don't even need that argument anymore. Let's just talk about what's intelligent. It is stupid for you to go and sleep with anything that moves. That is a stupid thing to do. Okay, It's not helpful for you. You are just hurting yourself. All God, God doesn't want you to do these things because they're dumb. God doesn't make these rules just because he's God and he gets to make arbitrary rules. That's not what it's about. All of God's rules come from his love for us, which means they come from a place of wisdom. They come from a place of God saying, if you act like that and continue to act like that, you're going to hurt yourself. I'm your creator. I know a few things about you. Do you follow me? Okay. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying right here. Even if it was okay to act that way, and he just told us it wasn't, but even if it was, it's a stupid thing to do, so stop doing it. Stop living that way. You are asking for trouble. You are putting yourself in harm's way. Quit it. It's things like when people come to me and they say, Pastor Josh, do you think this is a sin? I just want to, I, I just say, can we take that question and just throw it away? And let's talk about if this is intelligent or not. Because that's really the more pertinent question in this moment. Right? If you can walk according to love and wisdom at the same time, you're doing good. Those should be the bumper rails on both sides of our life. Love and wisdom. 
Love for God and love for people on one side and wisdom on the other. Okay? If I'm for sure loving somebody, it'd be really loving for me to give my paycheck to you when it comes in. Am I wrong about that? You'd appreciate it, I'm sure. Why, thank you, Pastor Josh. That's just really loving of you. But is it wise? No, because I kind of need to pay my mortgage. Okay? It's not wise. So that hits this bumper rail. It's loving for sure, but it hits the bumper rail of wisdom. Don't do that. That's stupid. Okay? But just because it's wise, I need to keep as much money as I can, so I shouldn't give anything to the person that's, you know, asking for money on the side of the street. That's wisdom, right? I'm saving my money, but that's not loving. So it hits this bumper rail. You follow me? If we can walk between those two, then we're going to be right in the sweet spot of what Christianity is all about. If it's loving and it's wise, we're making the right decision. That's why at the end of every ignition video, I say make wise decisions today and make loving decisions today. That's what I want them to do. That's what I want to do myself. I want to make decisions that are wise and loving at the same time. And that's what the Apostle Paul's getting at here. Okay, you can do whatever you want, but don't go jumping off cliffs because you're going to hurt yourself. And then the next one, he says, you can do whatever you want, but don't be mastered by anything. Okay, so even if you could do whatever you want, you are a human being, which means you are subject to addictive behavior. Okay, is it a sin to drink alcohol? No, it is not. But you don't, but you have to be careful because it is an addictive substance. So is it probably better just to avoid it altogether? Yeah, it probably is. That's what people ask me, like, is it a sin to smoke? No, but it's stupid. Why would you do that? First, you're going to get addicted and it's going to control you. And being addicted to anything is a sin. Addiction is a sin. Even addiction to coffee, which I'm not. Isn't it Praise kind of like... It is idolatry. Absolutely. All right. Verse 13. Food for the stomach and stomach for food, but you make these, uh, but God will destroy them both. I, lo I love the Apostle Paul. This is another thing that they were saying. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. Ha ha! You know, they're, they're saying, look, God made, God gave me these parts. I should use them. You following me? Okay, that's totally what they were saying. This was not about the stomach, my friends. God gave me these parts, so I should use them. Okay, no, wrong. You are taking a temporal thing and you are elevating it above the eternal things, and that is your problem. Wake up. God, is, both of those things are going to burn. Even those of you that are saved. Yes. He's saying, yeah, God gave you those parts. But when you make your stomach more important than the kingdom of God, you are being an idiot. Because you're... Yeah, he will. We will get new bodies. Our bodies, the way they are right now, are going away, and we get new bodies. No. He is, but he's not at the same time. They knew... No, we're not. They... 
they were using this as a euphemism to talk about sex. They were. And he is speaking directly to that. Paul is, he's, you know, he's got a wit about him. He knows what's going on. And he's kind of, he's pushing on that button. No, it will be destroyed. We're going to talk about that even more in chapter 7. We've got to keep moving. We're out of time. Oh, no, we have nine minutes. <laughs> the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What a fascinating statement. I love that statement. Okay, that's amazing. The body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. Now we're going into what you were talking about there a minute ago, the resurrected body. Okay? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Give your what as a living sacrifice? Your body. Your body. Your physical being as a living sacrifice unto God. You are, as an entire being, all of you is saved. Not just your spirit, but your soul and body as well, is going through this process of resurrection. It's already accomplished in your spirit, but your, and your soul is currently being resurrected. And someday, when we cap off the process, your physical body will also be resurrected. Okay, verse 15, verse 14, he goes into it even more. He says, your body has been unified with the body of Christ and will someday be remade into a glorious body just like his. Okay, so that's, that's what's going on. This is an important point, especially in the light of the Gnostic heresy that's rampant in the early church. All right, one of the ideas that was going on in Corinth at this time, that it, it went on in Ephesians, or in Ephesus, and, and, and the Apostle John goes after it in his in his. Uh, books was this thing called Gnosticism. Okay, Aristotle, you know who that is, right? Greek philosopher, was the primary shaper of thought in this age that they are living in. Okay, and as more and more Greek people who are thinking like Aristotle are getting saved, they apply Aristotelian ideas to the gospel. One of the things Aristotle talked about was that spirit is good, physical is bad. Okay. Those things that are in the spirit are all good. The things that are physical are evil. And actually, the Gnostics actually believed that God himself did not create the physical universe, that he emanated a lower being that then created the physical universe because God is so holy he can never have created the physical universe. They took this into everything they believed. They did not believe that Jesus, they said Jesus wasn't a physical human being. Either he was a physical human being and who and the God part of him was just kind of resting on that physical and then left it at the cross. Or he wasn't actually physically a physical human being. He was just like a hologram inhabited by God, you know. That And then when he died on the cross, then that hologram just went away. It, or, this is literally the weird idea these Gnostics had, okay. And because of that, one of the things that they would say was, the things I do with my body don't matter because my physical body is evil. So it can do whatever it wants. My spirit remains uncorrupted. Oh, it doesn't matter if I have sex with that person because that's just a physical thing. My spirit's not involved. The Apostle Paul is saying, first of all, it's not your bodies belong to Jesus. Your bodies will be resurrected too. Who you are, all of who you are, including your physical being, is saved. 
was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. The literal, physical blood and body of Jesus Christ was torn to save your literal, physical blood and body. And someday that resurrection that's at work in your spirit in, that, that has already resurrected your spirit and is now in the midst of resurrecting your soul will, will explode into full resurrection of your entire physical form, which is good news. He's saying, the world of subs... Uh, wait a minute. They, uh, da, 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 da. Okay. Paul's arguing against Gnosticism there. And against the idea that there's this dichotomy of spiritual is good and physical is bad. That's not true. There's a whole lot of weird things that can come out of that idea. Just don't even go there. That was an Aristotle idea, not a Jesus idea. Verse 15, our bodies themselves belong to Christ. Not just our hearts. We're whole being, body, and spirit. We already talked about that. What we do with the whole being is, uh, is an issue. And then he goes on to say, your body has been joined with Christ. You are the body of Christ. Now, imagine... That you you have Jesus' body, right? Okay, and you walk in and sleep with a prostitute. You are making, you are forcing Jesus to sleep with a prostitute. Are you okay with that? Because your physical being is a part of the body of Christ. Are you? That's that's huge. Well, now that you actually care about Jesus, that's right. a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jesus is in you, with you, and is you are a part of his body. So when you, whatever you do, he's doing that with you. When you're walking across America, he'll be walking with you. That's good news. <laughs> that's great news. Okay? But when you go places you shouldn't go or do things that you shouldn't do, it is literally the body of Christ doing those things. And then he talks about how when you have sex with someone, you're made one flesh with them. Would you join the flesh of Jesus with the flesh of a prostitute? Ew, gross. No, I would never do that. But you did. Words. Think about it with what you eat. With the things that you involve yourself in. Verse 19 and 20, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, earlier in, in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, you are a temple of the Holy Ghost. That is a plural you. He's talking about the entire church. Now, in chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he is talking about you individually. Your individual body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You need to treat it as such, which is why being healthy and eating right and all of those and sleeping and and your physical life is a part of your Christian life. And you can't say that it's not. And somebody's got us terrible about this and has been for years, although we're getting better, especially with like Don Gifford in the in the in the state of Indiana, you know. I mean, he runs marathons and blah blah blah. He's very healthy. And he's constantly telling everybody else they need to be very healthy too. But I grew up in the age of when it was totally okay for a pastor to be five hundred pounds, you know. <laughs> You know, and then stand up and preach against gluttony. Uh, you know, that's kind of an issue. All right, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You personally, your physical being is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He 
literally, physically dwells in your body. Just think about that for a minute. I am the literal physical house of God in this moment. That should keep you away from sin, and that should also give you real courage in those moments when you need his help. Because he's not far away. He's right here. That's why when you're speaking to God, don't be like, oh, God. Be like, oh, God. Think about it. He's not out there somewhere. He's right here. One of the things I say to the youth group all the time, close your eyes and get in the secret place with God. The only person behind those eyelids with you is the Holy Spirit. Yes, but he's inside. It's easy for us to think about God as somebody outside of us. It is hard for us to think about God as somebody inside of us. I do that all the time. And he yells at me about speeding, and I'm like, you know, you can get out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Jesus is sitting in me. Check this out. Check this out. In the Old Testament, they carried around this box. And it was the seat of God. It was the throne of God on earth. Okay? It's called the Ark of the Covenant. For anybody to put their hand on that box, they would die. Okay? And more than and at least one person did. It's actually a couple people that got killed in relationship to the Ark. Yes, it was about to. They were carrying it in a way they should not have been carrying it. Yes, and it's and the ox stumbled, and the ark is about to fall off. So Uzzah grabbed the ark, and God zapped him dead. Because they were supposed to be carrying it with the handles anyway. They weren't supposed to be carrying it that way. Well, I know, but if they yes, but if they were carrying it with the handles, that it wouldn't have fallen. Okay, but let's. God can take care of his own stuff, okay? They stepped into the Jordan River and God shut the flow off, okay? So God can take care of his stuff. And and it's a really interesting thing to think about because the guy's name, Uzzah, in Hebrew means the strength of man. When the strength of man went to take hold of the glory of God, it died. Is that good? Or what? It's just like boom! <laughs> I love it. I was like, yeah! <laughs> that is just that's so good. Just that moment right there. All right, we are totally okay. But and then he says, "You are not your own. You are bought with a price." When you think about the precious blood of Jesus that was spent to buy you, you should it should change the way you think about yourself. You are bought with a price. I remember one time I was I was preaching from my iPhone. It was just right after I got my iPhone. And I didn't have a case for it yet. And I was preaching from it. And I jumped off of the stage onto the floor with the iPhone in my hand. And Timothy McCain was in the back and goes, Oh, Jesus! <laughs> because he was afraid I was going to drop my iPhone and break it or something. And, you know, he was just like, Oh, that precious iPhone, you know? <laughs> It was bought with a price. He knows that. It's going to be $500 to replace it. And so, yeah, of course. I mean, if, you know, if, if I had my guitar and I tripped and fell on it, okay, you know, you know, really bad day, okay? 
Why? Because it's expensive. Well, okay, Jesus paid his own blood for you. And for that person you were gossiping about last week. Means a little more than an iPhone or a Taylor guitar, but not much. <laughs> All right. Really quick, chapter seven is the married man's friend. The very first part of chapter seven. Because this is what it says. I love this. I pre I love <laughs> concerning matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relationship with a woman. That's in quotes. It's something that they wrote to him about. We know it's good for men not to have sexual relations with a woman, okay? He says, because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her, her own husband. Verse 3, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. In other words, you need to be having sex with your spouse on a regular basis. Check this out. For the wife does not have authority over her own body. But the husband does. <laughs> Hallelujah. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body. The wife does. Okay, thanks. Okay. <laughs> Do not deprive one another. Do not deprive one another. Yeah, it is a sin to withhold sex from your spouse. In the Torah, or in the, not the Torah, the, uh, <coughs> Quran. no, the, in the, not, not the Torah, the, the commentary on the Torah that is part of Jewish scripture, okay, I, I can't remember what it's called right now, um, they talk about, they talk about how often a married couple should have sex, and within, from, between Sabbath and Sabbath, their recommendation is three times. And if he's a sailor and is going to go away for a long period of time, then before and after, that should be more frequent than that. Before and after he leaves. Yeah. And so, I mean, God is really practical, okay? And he's saying, look, this is, do not deprive one another. Now he says, now, if you decide to fast sex for a while, like as a matter of prayer, then that's one thing. But make sure you know when that fast begins and ends, and both of you have to agree. Now, I've never heard any preacher say, we are going to fast sex for the next 40 days. I've never heard that. <laughs> I never have. I think it would be, now, Joshua in the book of Joshua tells his people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow God will do great things among you. Men, stay away from the women tonight. He literally says to them, I want you to fast sexual relations and food for this night. I think that's an interesting thing. And there have been times when, and this might be embarrassing for you, but there have been times when I was going on a fast that, that, my wife and I said, okay, we're not going to do that for this period of time. It was never a very long period of time. But. Okay? Because, because the, the idea of a fast is to weaken the flesh so that the spirit can be stronger. Okay? This is one area where you're kind of feeding the flesh, quote unquote, and they don't want, and this is, you know, does this make sense for everybody? Okay? Do not do that. Don't. I think every married couple needs to read this portion of scripture. And I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. I'm dead serious. I think they need to read this and need to understand, first of all, 
Yes, this is going on the recording, but I want I want you to hear this. Sex and marriage is not about you, it's about the person you're married to. You are there to meet their needs sexually, not your own. Soon as you understand that, sex and marriage gets way better. Because they're there to meet your needs and you're need there to meet theirs. Every married couple needs to understand this. I know you guys are like, we're all no. single, we're not allowed to date, this isn't fair. I, relax. No. You need to hear this, okay? It's true. I'm just preaching God's word to you. I didn't bring this up out of nowhere. All right? Now, the rest of chapter 7 is the Apostle Paul say, basically saying, look, if you're not married right now, you shouldn't chase marriage as an end in itself. Now, a lot of you guys are going, excuse me, what? That's because our culture worships marriage and family, and we, it's, it's one of the chief idols of our church culture. Every little girl is talking about her wedding and da-da-da-da. No, that's, the Apostle Paul says, look, getting married is not a sin, but it's not an end in itself. And you need to understand that your life belongs to Christ. Don't chase after, don't give your energy to something you do not need. Now, if, merit, if, if a relationship like that happens, and it's obvious that you're supposed to continue life together, awesome. Go for it. It's not a sin. I'm not, you know, Apostle Paul is not, is, is not saying you shouldn't marry that person. But he is saying don't go running after it. Don't make it the... Don't make the, 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 the focus of your life, I have to find me a man. Or I need to find me a woman. I watched a, I watched a, a documentary the other day. It was, these, it was these, these college guys, and they were talking about, they were going to go out and do a road trip through the country and talk to people about God. And one of the guys, he's like, I'm 20 years old. I'm just waiting until I can get married so I can have sex, da da da. And I was like, dude, you have no clue what marriage is about. Zero. I totally had that. I used I used to be like, Jesus, you can't you can't come back before I get married because I want to have sex at least once. I know that might be just a guy thing, but no. I'm just being completely <laughs> honest with you. That's what I used to say. Because, you know, I'm like, the rapture's coming. Oh, it better not come while I'm still a virgin. I don't want that. <laughs> Because in sex, we're not, or in marriage, we're not having, or in heaven, there's no sex. So that's, you know. We're not going to be changing how sex is. No, we're not. No, we're not. Yes, asexual. We will not have any, we will not be sexual beings. After our resurrection, we will not be sexual beings. We will still have male and female identities. But we will not be sexual beings. Like bonds and stuff? What? Like bonds? Like, you're going to be able to be friends with them? I'm sure I will still love them and spend time with them, but my yeah. wife will no longer be my wife. Which means I can flirt with anybody I want. Freedom! I finally get away from you. <laughs> Hallelujah! No. It's, uh, <laughs> it's like after this life, there is no. Yeah, that's the good part. Like that's, 
Yeah. Because I feel like for a lot of women, probably more than men, but like for a lot of women, it's like. Oh, yeah, it's a huge thing. Which is why people, like, there have been Christians through the ages that have been like, I just can't deal with it anymore, and they'll they'll get castrated, which is just, God, yeah. Hey, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, right? Okay? I'm serious, though. That's They totally did that, and and that's not something I would ever encourage, okay? But that's, that's people have done that. People have taken this portion of Scripture in the last half of chapter 7 where the Apostle Paul says, look, don't go running after marriage. And that's what became the monastic lifestyle. Oh, that means I shouldn't get married. As the Apostle Paul says over and over again, it is easier to be a follower of Christ when you are unencumbered by a wifey family. It's easier to live a missionary lifestyle when you don't have to worry about feeding your wife and your kids too. And that's absolutely true. He's absolutely right. Now, in our culture, we have a bias the other way, where a lot of churches will not hire a single pastor. And that's that's not right. That's not okay. I, I understand maybe why. We don't want him dating anyone in the congregation. Okay. That makes sense. We don't want him screwing up. Or maybe he's single because he doesn't like girls, and that's not okay either. I get that. Whatever. But the Apostle Paul says, no, he's in a better position to be a minister of Christ Jesus than the, the guy who has to worry about his wife and kids. Because he can give his entire life to the gospel. And the whole next, the whole rest of this chapter is the Apostle Paul talking about, look, don't go running after things that you don't need. Stay the way you are. For instance, he talks about circumcision. Don't don't get circumcised. If you're not circumcised when you get saved, don't get circumcised. It's not it's it's an outward religious mark if you don't need it. Okay? If you are a, if you are a servant, a slave when you get saved. Don't feel like you have to leave that servanthood. Now, if you get an opportunity to and you want to, fine. But don't make that the focus of your life. It's not as important as walking out your life in Christ. <laughs> now, he does put a, He does say, by the way, if you're not in servanthood, don't go there. Because what they would do is if somebody got into a large amount of debt, they would sell themselves into slavery to the person that owed them the most. Basically, until they could pay them off or until the end of seven years when they would die. Maybe the culture was there. And Paul's saying you shouldn't be doing that because you are you are putting yourself under the control of somebody else and that shouldn't be. But if you're already there, don't sweat it. Work, do do your work, and do what you're supposed to be doing. So that's it. We're done. God bless you guys. Have a great day. My pleasure.